Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claybo, your host, and with me today is your one other co-host, Y Lou. Hey, Y. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Hey. How's winter going for you? Oh, it's cold. It's definitely cold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, we get, a bit over it. Maybe on Sunday at six. Yeah, if we could just oh, share yeah. our temperatures, you know, you're cold, I'm in a heat dome, it's really hot, things like I'd that. I'd love so. to be like rich enough one day to have like just two houses on both hemispheres and then <laughs> like every six months I can just fly <laughs> in between the houses, but don't think that'll ever happen. <laughs> you're not rich enough yet, huh? Mm, not ever, <laughs> I don't think. But <laughs> Check with your wife, maybe she's hiding so. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doubt it, but. Wow. So uh, let's bring in our guest. George Cosmides. Welcome, yeah. George. Thank you. Very nice to be here. I'm hearing that ways in, in during winter and you are during heat and I think I'm closer to you because right now I'm in Greece and the temperature here is around 35, although it's night. Yeah, maybe it's 30 something. I don't know. Celsius, yeah. After yeah, yeah, Celsius, yeah, sorry. And it's after midnight here, just 15 minutes after midnight. I had a I can do an afternoon nap just to be fresh for you guys. I hope that works. <laughs> but let's see. Well, it's it's afternoon for me right now, so maybe I should go take a nap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 2 p.m. here. So this is kind of a weird thing here because I think this is the first time we had a show where two people, it's Saturday as we're recording mm -hmm. this, and then I'm. it's still Friday. So that's just the way the, you know, the universe <laughs> The universe is. Yeah, barely weekend started for me, but yay, weekends. <laughs> yeah, well, speaking of the universe, I think we're going to be talking a little bit about those kinds of things today. Uh, yeah, about weird <laughs> things, right? <laughs> weird things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, George, what you do and how you got into uh, programming and, and .NET? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, .NET is my passion, right? Quantum computing is my hobby and actually my current hobby. I switch hobbies between ML.NET and quantum computing and that keeps life interesting for me. But when I was at right, right that moment to decide, it was either physics or computer science and computer science won. Thankfully enough, now it's the time that both worlds kind of get married and that is putting an extra excitement in my life, not career yet, but yeah, anyway, in my hobbies. I am a full-time .NET developer, a software engineer. I work in Munich, Germany, although currently I'm in Greece, just came, and will spend probably the rest of the summer here. I'm not, I'm not a long time in Germany. Actually, I went there three years ago after an invitation from a company to join forces and help them out. So, yeah, so good idea. So I would, uh, although I, I, my role there is to be the software architect, I would consider myself self as a .NET software engineer, as a .NET developer, because even though if there are days that I don't write code that much, I go back home and start writing. So yeah, .NET is my passion and computer science is actually my passion with physics. Besides that, I organized a .NET meetup in Munich. We frequently hold some events, some talks. Unfortunately, with the COVID situation now, all online, but yeah, but hopefully we'll return back to normal soon enough. So yeah, not much more, many more boring things for me. I think we could slowly get moving to quantum computing, right? 
Yeah. So, so what, yeah. how did you get into that? What you kind of attracted you to quantum computing? First of all, that some of the things that they are happening in the quantum world, I mean, let's take a step back. Quantum computing is as a result of quantum world. I, that was mainly my focus, trying to understand what's happening there. Actually, I first saw a documentary, was it, or a YouTube video, how a particle changes its state once observed. And I thought, what? How is that possible? And that was actually the sparkle that reminded me all these physics obsessions, physics obsessions that I had when I was young, and start uh, reading, studying about that. And indeed, I found out that it's probably too weird for the human brain to comprehend what is happening in the particle world. And that, yeah, soon enough, I start realizing that what happened years ago with the computers. Remember ENIAC? A huge room that people were in it and trying to do some basic calculations. This is what's happening with quantum computing right now. There are huge rooms, for example, an IBM, and people in there trying to keep this core cold and make calculations. So it's like re-seeing what happened. I wasn't there, of course, but it's re-seeing history, right? The evolution of personal computers and cell phones that we have, like so many microchips here and change our lives so fast over the last decades, it's happening again now. And this is is it, is it, is it just theories still, or is it, have they actually built a quantum computer? They actually have. No, it's not a workable quantum computer. Not something that you can buy. Uh, yeah, like it doesn't run on Windows or anything. But. Yeah, 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 not yet. <laughs> but IBM, for example, they have a 53 qubit quantum computer, and I know that Azure hosts some solutions to run quantum programs there. So it's happening. It, it will happen sooner than we expect. I think whoever is front seat right now, he's uh, up for a ride of a lifetime because it's very <laughs> exciting to think, to see things happening from scratch and where, where they will end up. I hope I will live enough years <laughs> to see all this thing, where it will go. So what would be the difference between just a normal off-the-shelf computer versus a quantum computer? Like, what's the... Yeah, give, uh, a, give, a, give, give us quantum computing 101. Mm, yeah, yes. well, <laughs> well, the most interesting things is what kind of problems or how fast we can solve problems with quantum computers and the same with regular, our common computers. There is a phrase in Microsoft Docs that says there are some problems so difficult, so incredibly vast, that even if every supercomputer in the world, not quantum computer, worked on the problem, it would still take longer than the life of the universe to solve. And why? Because there are numerous problems, environment, for example, health and agriculture, that have indeed an answer, but this answer is, is kind of lost in a vast ocean of possible answers. Take, for example, COVID, right? There probably, I'm not, of course, a specialist there, but there might be a combination of simple or more complicated drugs that chemical substances or whatever, that they are out there and could help. Who can test every possible drug out there and every combination of possible drug out there to actually see if it is safe and if it works? Nobody, and if we have the correct models to actually test that, we wouldn't have the uh, computer power to actually do that. Quantum computer solves that. And this is the amazing revolution that waits just around the corner to happen. 
the uh, quantum computers are vastly more capable of solving problems like, for example, uh, integer factorization, right? Which is notoriously difficult to actually solve, actually mostly impossible, and this is why uh, RSA encryption based on that. A nice discussion starts here. Whoever country has the first supercomputer that that can indeed underlie RSA encryption and decrypt everything, will it be public or will they keep it for themselves, right? At least until many secrets are revealed. In any case, you see that the, the quantum computers are actually changing the world as it is today. They are making such a vast changes in our everyday lives downward speeds. That could be a history. Calculations of that things, that could be history. That it's truly something phenomenal to see it happening right now. Can it, uh, can it tell me who's going to win the Super Bowl or pick stocks for me? <laughs> well, I, honestly, I don't. I, I, I imagine sometimes the future, uh, there is chaos theory, right? How each particle bumps into each other and this is unpredictable and how a butterfly flying somewhere in China, I don't know, will cause a storm in the United States. And theoretically, if you could predict the movement of each and every molecule, if we modelize that, you could predict everything. But yeah, this is... So, so predicting the weather should get a lot better. Hopefully, it will get a lot better in many things, like predicting how bad our climate goes and try to change that first. But yeah, yeah, definitely. What about Bitcoin mining? Would that kind of help with that? No. <laughs> Sorry? Would I get rich if I can make a quantum computer <laughs> with Bitcoin? If you, I think you can be rich. <laughs> if you can do it, you can be more the right. But I mean, the quantum computers are notoriously difficult to build because they are by errors in such a degree, currently at least they fall apart before any any non-trivial program has a chance to complete. And I'm not talking about additions or subtractions. I'm talking about real-life problems, right? Currently, it's not possible. I, I think we are just about around the corner, but currently, I mm. think we would find a lot of problems building one. Well, that's, that's one thing that people are worried about is that the quantum computing is going to break their... Bitcoin wallet encryption and people are going to steal their money. Yeah, yeah, yeah it will. <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, before that happens, Microsoft is, and all the companies, of course, they, they have parallel teams that are working exactly on that. There are encryptions already here at, I, I think maybe they are not even in a theory level. I think they are practical. It's called BB8 for quantum key distribution protocol. And it's 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 a quantum cryptography protocol, actually. It's the first one. And it's an, an attempt to do that before the world is actually ready for a quantum computer to just introduce it and say, you know, go to your uh, local store and buy a public, uh, quantum computer. The infrastructure should be ready. So there are a lot of people actually working just on that. Hopefully when time comes, the first will discover a fully working quantum computer will not use it for bad. <laughs> Let's see. So what are the what are the basic components, you know, aspects of, of quantum computing? What are the things that you, you need to know to have just the beginning understanding? Well, first of all, we could start a step back and talk a bit about uh, superposition because that will lead us to qubits, right? Mm. Qubit is the equivalent of bit. Now, qubit super- or qubit? Qubit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's bit and qubit. So 
before before we talk about this, let's talk about superposition. Superposition is not doesn't exist only in quantum computers. In quantum, sorry, physics, superposition is just normal classical physics. Imagine, for example, two colliding waves in the sea. Sometimes they perfectly add to make a bigger one. What's the name? I mean, rogue waves or something. I don't know. Rogue, rogue wave. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. My, my, I, I try with my English, but it's not my native language. And sometimes it's kind of a terminology hell for me to try to translate in my mind what is the, the equivalent English one. So sometimes they perfectly add to create a bigger one, and sometimes they completely cancel each other. So you see nothing. But most oftenly, what you see is a combination of both. Right? You don't see usually rogue waves in the sea or a flat sea without anything. You see the combination of both. This constructive or destructive interference of waves, of waves is called superposition in classical physics. Now, in quantum computers, in quantum physics, God, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck with computers. In quantum physics, superposition can be, and it is uh, weirder. It's thought that particles that exist in different states for example, moving in different directions or different speeds or spinning in different angles, they do that. They do all the states at the same time. They exist in all possible states at the same time. This is, uh, for example, a particle can exist in two state, in two positions inside your room at the same time. It's like having your cell phone in two tables at the same time. And this is kind of unnatural for humans. We cannot imagine how this can be. It is practically impossible for a human brain to comprehend, but it is one of the weirdest realities in quantum physics. So is it the, is it the same particle? Y yes, it is the same particle. It is the same particle that exists everywhere, moves in different speeds at the same time, in different directions at the same time. It is the same thing. It, it's impossible to, to actually visualize that or do anything about that. That's why they are these interpretations, quantum mechanics interpretations, like the Copenhagen. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, basically, when I was doing physics, and I yeah. remember when I got to the Newtonian physics, it all made sense. Anything yeah. above, like, you know, relativity, and then the quantum computer was like, whoa, this, I can't actually visualize how this would actually work in the real world. You, like, you, you can. How can this you be real? Can. You, know, so. you can. And this is why we have all this interpretation. Actually, a physicist named David Mermin said that uh, new interpretations for quantum mechanics appear every year, none ever disappear. Because, I mean, how can you interpret that? And what is, first of all, what is an interpretation? It is an attempt to explain how the mathematical theory of quantum mechanics actually corresponds to reality. Because right now we are saying that, you know, yeah, okay, a particle can exist here and there and everywhere, what that means. It is actually a possibility of existing here and there. How mm. can you visualize that? How can we interpret that in the real world? Um, there are hundreds of attempts, as I said already. The most known, let's say, is the Copenhagen interpretation, which is actually a collection of interpretation, a collection of, of principles, let's say, which again found opposition by the famous uh, Schrodinger cut, the experiment, the famous thought experiment. What you put, where you put a cat inside a box with poison and the cat is either dead or alive after some time. I don't know if you, if you ever heard of that, but it's 
thankfully it's a thankfully for the cat especially it's a thought experiment it's not a real experiment <laughs> but it poses the, this exact question when exactly quantum superposition that state of a particle existing everywhere let's say ends and reality resolves into one or another possibility possibility like the particle exists here there is a weird thing which can be explained maybe from with some interpretations like the particle exists in all these different states at the same time as long as no one observes it either if it is a human or a machine trying to understand its state then it changes from this superposition and suddenly exists in only one known state that can be explained by classical physics. This is a, a huge weirdness, again, of, of quantum computing. And actually, it was the first one that, that kind of uh, sparkled my curiosity. How can a particle know when we observe it and suddenly change from being all over the room or moving with different directions and stopping and doing only one thing? And is it just like, what's the definition of someone? Like, is it like me? Is it going to be like a pet? Like, I'm like, what's the definition of like someone actually observing it? The definition of someone observing it is having some kind of a monitor to try to get a reading out of that particle. What is it currently doing? That cannot be, it can be, I don't know, with a super uh, microscope or it can be, usually what it's done is pointing some photons towards that particle and reading the response back. So it's actually make some kind of reading. Try to understand where this particle exists. Where is it? Why, what is it doing right now? The One of the interpretations, rather simplistic one, that it's most easily, at least for my brain, and there are many, is that since the particles are so small, trying to make any kind of reading would mean that you are actually bombarding it, let's say, with another photon to get the reading back. So uh, bounce it back, let's say, from that particle. And that bounce actually affects it and changes state. This is not how the Copenhagen interpretation says it is, but it is a bit easier for my brain to make some sense out of this weirdness of how a particle can understand who sees it and who don't. So, yeah, let's... So, uh, so maybe, maybe the whole universe is just a quantum particle in all of its states at the same time. And it only you know, makes its state, you know, like everything inside my room right now, it's all, I'm observing it. So it's frozen. But as soon as yeah. I open my door, oh. then all those particles come back together form. and reform <laughs> what I thought was outside my room. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's <laughs> what Strondiger, Strondiger's cut experiment tried to uh, say that this is not real. Well, actually, the Copenhagen interpretation was devised somewhere in uh, 1926 or something. And it was stating that physical systems in general do, have, do not have a state until measured not just particles, but physical systems, exactly what you're saying. And then Schrodinger came and said, you know, let's do that experiment with a cat. What is the cat, dead or alive? So it must be one of those because the cat knows what it is. So it's weird. It's, it's weird. In any case, there is no interpretation right now available that is widely accepted by everyone and solves all of these puzzles. It's, in any case, the Copenhagen is one that it's uh, the more widely 
let's say this is what you usually learn so at least on my side i never understood that right i just learned it by heart <laughs> that particles behave this abnormally we could say of course it's normal only only nature knows what's normal but for us let's just accept that and see how we can use that thing actually to make some sense how we can use that to do something for us i think one of the ways is the qubit what we were talking before the qubit as the equivalent bit as a zero and one but if you remember the waves adding up and creating a bigger one and cancelling and having a, a completely flat c let's say less than one and the zero of a qubit the thing is that the qubit has more states in between. These states are represented as a linear combination of those both, state, both states. So let's say like probabilities. It can be either one or two. It can be both one or two. And it's actually uh, a possibility of being one or two all the time. This having more than one state of a bit actually allows us to do all these uh, massively mathematical operations at the same time and getting much faster results. Now, the qubit, though, shared with these weird things that it actually possesses has some limitations, right? Which is one of the main reasons, one of the main reasons, not the one reason, that uh, quantum computers are so difficult and notoriously difficult actually to build. You cannot copy one. You cannot copy information from one qubit to another, which sometimes is useful. For instance, when you want to keep information private, since you have them encoded in qubits and it's only there. But the coping mechanism, which would be a very nice alternative to correct all these crippling errors, it's not there. So once a qubit fails, information encoded in there fails. That's why that's one of the main reasons why that quantum computers are still not available. But good news, there are ways to play with qubits and get some try to get some level into your quantum computing skills and be ready for what is coming. Hopefully, I don't know, as soon as possible. Yeah, my idea actually was now to get a bit into QSARP. Some well, well, qubits, qubits can be entangled. That's what yeah. I think we heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, entanglement is another weird thing that Einstein called spooky action over distance, right? It's the second most weird thing that you can find. Somehow we can visualize it because we've seen all these Hollywood, Hollywood movies of teleporting, but it's exactly that. It's a way to exchange information between two positions without, I just said it wrong, without exchanging information. So passing information from A to B without having anything in the middle that transmits this information from A to B, magically. Uh, this, is what I, this is why Einstein called it spooky up action over distance. And actually, there is also an example here. I'm not sure if I, if I can if I remember it correctly, but let's assume that you have a pair of gloves, right? Somehow, without seeing the, the color of the gloves, you pack one and you send it right around the other, I don't know, to Australia. You send it to uh, away. You keep your 
globe locally here. And when Wei sees the globe in there, he immediately understands, of course, what color is the globe that you kept. But the weird thing comes here. If Wei decides to, for example, paint the uh, globe green, then your globe will immediately change. Yes. Yes, it wasn't instantaneous. It wasn't. I'm sorry, but I can't remember right now the speed. I think it was it was counting the the particle decay speed, but I'm not. I I, I don't have that. Yeah, I don't have that. So maybe the maybe there is some right method now. of transmission that we don't know about. Probably, but maybe if in a parallel universe or something. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's 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 completely crazy. But yeah, theoretically there is something. And there is something that doesn't pass the speed of light. It's slower than the speed of light. But it cannot be, at least for now, we cannot find out what it is, how they exchange information. Theoretically, what we know for now and what we're saying is that they, are don't, they don't pass this information. They don't transmit somehow this information. The information disappears from that and appears locally into that other particle. So, yeah. Is, I, it, I, is it a two-way? Uh, entanglement? It, yes, in t- it, for the particles that they are entangled, there is a two-way entanglement. But uh, for that, I think there, there is um, many things to be discovered. The experiment was a successful, but it wasn't able to transfer massive amounts of information. It was about information that could be encrypted, what could be passed anyway in the normal speeds during a wire, during uh, any kind of means that we have right now. So it's a big world there. It's a big thing. There is a currently a Microsoft example that you can play with entanglement and actually see that sort of happening, passing information from one program to another without having to transmit it somehow. But we don't or I don't know much about it. I've, the last time I've searched anything about entanglement was one year ago. And currently I'm kind of obsessed with superposition and how to calculate, how to break RSA, for example, <laughs> how to make massive calculations. I think that will make me a bit richer. Yeah. So so then I'll be able to play video games without any latency. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. That's important. It will be, yeah, yeah, yeah. No more internet speed limitations or anything. Yeah. You don't even need cables or wires or anything. I was like, yeah, yeah. The whole yeah. universe is just wireless. Wi-Fi. Well, let's see. I think we will need because, I mean, first of all, you need to transfer this entangled particle, right? You need to entangle them somewhere locally and then transfer it to the other side and then start transmitting information. So you anyway need one part, one of these entangled particles locally in your PC somehow and then start receiving information about that. But well, the yeah. factories will just build the things, you know, all one location, entangle them and then distribute them out. So you got your yeah, routers yeah. all throughout the world. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, honestly, yeah. what what expects us around the corner sometimes you cannot predict. I would say that I don't know if that will be used for PC to PC communication, but definitely for satellite communications or real time warfare. I don't know. This thing will find some real time yeah. real life application for those things. Well, you know, think about the uh, the things we send into space. You know, how long it takes to send a command to the rovers on Mars, you know, and yeah, get answers yeah. back, or you know, this the yeah, everything yeah, we send exactly. out there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so how does this all relate back to to Microsoft and .NET? Well, 
Microsoft is, of course, in an effort to prepare us for the future, right? To prepare for development of future large-scale large applications, sorry, and at the same time supports users' first efforts right now, currently, in the direction of quantum hardware, how to learn. And they did that, that by creating a layer, a framework, if I might say, that disconnects us from the hardware. So we don't care how exactly, what's the hardware under us, what's the, the, what's the, the, the methods for actually getting all these weird superpositions, but we only care about the language. We only care about succeeding or finding an answer to our problem. They call this Quantum Development Kit. It's part, let's say, of the Microsoft Quantum effort in general, and it's a very easy and small downward that provides a rich IDE for tools and that we currently have, for example, Visual Studio, right? There are some limitations. For example, you need a 64-bit operating system and you need to have Visual Studio 16.3, I think, and above, at least with the last version of the Quantum Development Kit. Then you download it from, from uh, Marketplace. Uh, if you go to marketplace.visualstudio.com and you search for Quantum or Quantum Development Kit, you will find it. Download it, installation takes minutes, and you are done. You're actually ready to write your first quantum program. That, of course, before getting there, it would require some familiarization with the language. And before getting to get familiarized, it will require to remember a few things from university or school, complex arithmetic and linear algebra would be very helpful, to be honest. So in order to get that thing in the right way, let's say. Microsoft prepared the Quantum Capas, they name it. It's a school uh, that you can learn everything you want in your own pace. You can start from first step, learn a bit things, remember uh, linear algebra, for example, and then slowly go and yeah into more complicated things, like, for example, creating a program to to test entanglement, test this communication over distance. Yeah, it's a very nice attempt because it's actually a learning by doing. So it's not that you are reading and reading and you're just flooding yourself with theory and you're, you're expecting, where will I actually do something? The quantum cutters are exactly that. There is an online school and QSAR code samples to download and start immediately doing things. This is very exciting because usually as developers, we want some theory at first, and before we learn everything in theory, we want to immediately start playing and see what that thing is about, right? Um, and are you still in? Are you still coding in? Is it still in C sharp, or is it a separate? No, no, you're language? coding in Q sharp actually. But the cool thing about Q sharp is that it plays very well with C sharp. It plays very well with C sharp and F sharp. So you can start playing around with a very small QSAR program and then consume it actually from c which is very cool. So it yeah. transpiles almost like into C-sharp? Like... No, 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 no. It's, you need to add some nugget packages in your c program to actually consume it. And consume oh. oh, okay, one. I get it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, yeah and, and practically right now, I don't know any practical use Besides just playing around and learning something new and preparing for the future. But yeah, I, I would totally suggest for someone to get, first of all, in the quantum katas, 
and explore some basic and fundamentals of quantum computing. And then slowly dive deeper into quantum algorithms and protocols, which is the interesting part, right? So first mm-hmm. play around with complex arithmetic, then with some linear algebra, and then dive in the qubit. Because it, it, it actually sounds like a really accessible way to, to learn about quantum computing, like this thing that you're describing. Like what? Sorry, I didn't get it. Accessible, like a really easy way to, to do it. Like you said, like programmers yeah. like to yeah. not well, just read, they like to apply it. So First of all, if you like a bit to play around with your brain and struggle, first of all, you need to like math a bit and because you really need to, to remember complex arithmetic and linear algebra. If you are onto this, if you really want to remember those things, which is for me, I mean, it happened so my... So over the years, all the opportunities I had didn't include any of those. So, yeah, naturally, I forgot a big part of those. And you have to remember, you have to remember a lot of this. If you get after this first step of remembering all your school math or or all your university math, then you can start to jump in the qubit, the the actually writing and imagining a qubit, for example, a qubit is a, a matrix, right? It's a matrix of... Ah, now my my English terminology fails me because I don't know how to translate that. But it's a single <laughs> matrix of zero and one. I don't remember right now to how to translate it. It's yeah. binary? Yes, it's a binary. Yeah, it's a binary, but hmm, it has a special name, which... Yeah, sorry for that. Maybe I should have translated before so I would know it. But anyway, we have, we have Google. We have Google. Yeah, we, we yeah exactly. <laughs> we have Google. Yeah. So, for example, a qubit has two basic states, right? The zero and one. In these basic state, basic state represented by a vector or matrix. Is that terminology vector or matrix? Now I remember. Matrix is the table, let's say, and vector right. is a yeah direction. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can do, you can do, you can do actually both. If you kind of get into this world, you can see that actually it's a vector of A and B, which represents one and zero, or it is a matrix because everything can be represented as a linear combination of those two states, right? So how can I say that without showing my screen now? It's a bit... Difficult. The last presentation that I did also included that, and I'm very sorry for it. I don't know how to explain it, but it's actually the a square plus b square equals one. I mean, that is the linear representation of a vector, of a normalized vector, right? Now, mm. if you remember a bit of your linear algebra, you could remember how this translates to a matrix, and then how uh, matrix matrix multiplication and matrix addition actually lead us to this one. So yeah. So so with Q-sharp, you're doing quantum programming without a quantum computer. How does that work? Well, the quantum, the library that you have and work, it's actually, let's say, a virtualization, a, a virtualized environment, right? Mm. It's, not, uh, it's not a real environment. You don't have a quantum computer to play, but the, the development kit that you are downloading, creating, let's say, some kind of virtual environment for you that that yeah mimics a quantum computer the cool thing though is that when it's time for a real quantum computer for example you can you can rent some azure quantum computer this same program that you wrote in this virtual environment in this virtual quantum computer 
plays the same, doesn't change anything. So what they did is actually that created a framework that you can write the same way, no matter which one is your quantum computer, which one is your hardware. Is it the real hardware? Is it the virtualized environment? So it doesn't play any role at all. Same, same thing what they did is about the Azure quantum, right? So when you try, first of all, when you try to develop one on Azure quantum, you accelerate your development lifecycle because you are building your quantum solution once and you're running it in multiple systems with actually almost, I think, no change depending on your program. So the best thing to do right now, if you want to go real and get a, a professional career maybe tomorrow in uh, in quantum computing is to start playing with quantum katas and move fast enough into Azure quantum. You will see there that there are some ready-made algorithms, solutions for well-known programs that it's, for us developers at least, it's very, very nice to get that and start trying to create your own solution or adapt it to what you want as a library. So it's a, it's a really cost-saving solution. So you, so you said there's no real practical use for this yet. So what's the, what's the output? What's the result of things that you actually develop using QSharp? Prepare you for the future. First of all, uh, this is what, as far as I know, maybe there are some jobs for quantum computing with Microsoft for Azure Quantum or with Honeywell. I know they have some quantum computers, IonQ. There are, they, are, they are quantum computing companies out there. Of course, very limited and it's practically very hard to find a job there. But I think that waits us just around the corner. And I'm 44, right? Right now I'm one month ago I became 44. So I will probably not drastically changed my career toward QSharp. But for anyone that is just getting out of university and wants to invest in the future, there are two things right now. Data science, yeah, maybe three. Data science, machine learning, and quantum computing. So I think it's definitely worth knowing what is coming. So you can know how, how to program a quantum program, but to actually make it do anything is not? Something it can do now? Oh, there are tons of things. I, okay. I mean, there are tons of samples out there to play around and do things. Yeah, what do those uh, samples do? What do they? What do they do? What's some examples? Well, there? for example, there is a random quantum random number generator. I did that for a blog when I was first trying to learn a few basic things about QSharp. I think this is the first example uh, that they have, and it's how to create a random number huge, right? I think I, I'm saying it's something like, let's see, randomly select an atom in a universe. Not that you can actually select an atom in the universe, but you are creating a number that it's so vast, so big, and it's so less time that it's uh, practically impossible to do today. And the thing is that today, random is a science. You can't actually create something random. There is an, an entire theory of how to create random numbers. You can do that successfully, very successfully with qubits because you don't actually know what will be the outcome of a particle or a qubit once you observe it. So you can create real random numbers, that's theory at least, with QSharp. This is a very nice first example to do and play around. Others examples 
other code samples that you can do. You can download them as is and play uh, around, for example, is if you are a math lover, right? Gaussian initial state sample. You can get how to get Gaussian initial state with quantum development, with QSAR. You can get a reversible simulator. You can play around uh, with um, a bit more, actually, experiments, thought games, whatever you want to call it, like the Grover's algorithm. You can try training sequential models with, with QSAR. You can try teleportation, which would be really cool. You can try solving like uh, problems like Sudoku, problems that have solutions that they are massive. For example, a chess game. Uh, how is that game with the white and black marbles? Oh. Go? Yeah, go. Go. The games that have billions and trillions of solutions, and the only way to find the winning one is to explore all possible solutions, right? You can try to program solutions for this kind of problems with QSAR. If you have some kind of problem in your mind, then you can very well do it. Have you have you ever so, heard of have you ever heard of the lava lamp random number generator? Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. That was uh, correct me if I'm wrong. A camera just monitoring a lava lamp and out of this random patterns creating a random number, right? Yeah, a wall of la- lava lamps. Yeah. Uh, a wall of lava lamps. Yeah. 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 I'll yeah, put a link yeah. in the in the in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that would be very interesting. So yeah, not many things to do actually. I think it's for those people that also like to uh, solve Sudokus, then instead of solving a Sudoku, you can try play around with QSARP and solve similar Sudoku problems with QSARP. That would be, yeah, very interesting. It basically sounds like that QSARP, like at the moment you you can develop stuff with it. It's just that it will run on a conventional computer. But eventually when they make quantum computers, you can just take your program and run it on that quantum computer and it will run a lot faster because you will have that technology. Yeah, faster is, yeah, yeah. Faster is one thing, but actually running is another, right? Because right Mm. now you're not actually running any quantum solution. That's why if you try to make anything that it's very complicated, it will take forever. Although I think you can rent quite enough time in Azure Quantum and it's very appealing prices. Maybe there is a, even a free test in the in the US region. I'm not so sure, or it was anyway. So, yeah. What so what, what, have, what, have, what have you written in Q-Sharp? Sorry? What have you written in Q-Sharp? Well, I've written this random generator and my effort was actually to consume it from a CSR problem and a CSR program. And I was trying to actually use it for production, see if it would be um, possible. To be honest, this didn't pass, (laughs) meaning that it worked perfectly, but putting it in production, it was kind of, yeah, not, I didn't find a lot of fans, let's say, within the company. So this didn't work out. But there is very well, there is a, a GitHub solution with my code, how that works. I tried to play around with uh, then Hanwell and IonQ to find which of those environments would make a bit more fast solution, which is which one is cheaper and stuff. This the first one that I found that it's most probably 
better for me was Ion2. I played the, uh, enough with Ion2. These all computers are, well, there, there are many ways to do a quantum computer, right? So there is a way to monitor the decay of uh, an ion. There is a way to, there is a way to monitor the spin of a proton or the, the, the uh, direction of a photon. So each of these companies that nowadays are born, and some of those things that I said might not be correct, but anyway, I'm not a physicist, so no problem there, I guess. All these companies that come, uh, they, they choose one way to actually try and create quantum computer machine. And each of those offer the same thing in a bit different way. So that's why it is so important to have languages like QSAR, that kind of abstract of the real quantum hardware of what is happening. I think Honeywell also uses trapped ion systems like ion but for some reason, if I remember correctly, ion was a bit better, probably because it was giving you more qubits to play around. I think it was giving you 11 qubits, fully connected qubits to play around, and, and Honeywell was giving it two. Uh, again, I, I might be very, so, very wrong with that, it's better if you get into it and see it for yourself, because I currently, I don't remember. And it was many months ago. So, you know, what the offer and what they do usually changes fast. So, yeah. So there's a number of companies that actually have quantum computers out there. Uh, are those just proof of concepts or, or are they actually running real programs on them? I think there are mostly simulations and small programs. I, I mean, the problem is that you can run small programs. They are computers. There are quantum computers out there. And you can run trivial programs to get the results that you can anyway get with a normal computer, with a classical computer. The problem comes when you need to run non-trivial prog- uh, programs, when you want to get real complicated answers. This totally changes the map. And there is when all these errors are are bringing down the entire PC. So when the, the when you actually start running quantum programs, errors start to pile up. And the processor, the quantum processor, tries to overcome this by adding qubits. At some point, this becomes too much and it's unbearable anymore. So it's it just renders out of usage. I, I think you can very well play right now with two qubits, for example. IonQ offers two qubit gates play around to do your teleportation and what you want. But I, I don't think they are real life problems actually being solved with quantum computers. I would be very happy and I monitor it every day, but I've never seen actually something happening. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would be very happy if someone makes uh, proves me wrong and shows something. But as far as I know, nothing real is happening right now. Okay. So is there anything else that we should know about quantum computing. I think we really want to just kind of guide people towards the uh, Microsoft quantum computing development kit if they're interested in things like that and look at some of the samples that they have out there. And and I think quantum catas is the perfect start. You can go in there. You can have a first idea of what quantum computer is. You can get code samples to get to know QSAP. It's a functional language, right? So you can see at least out of curiosity, that was my first my first goal, let's say, to see what QSARP, how QSARP looks like. And then if you try to play around, of course, you will find a lot of things that they are kind of 
not understandable why they are happening. And you need to go back to quantum katas and start really reading and seeing what is uh, what you need to do. So quantum katas should be, for me, the entry point. You can find the uh, development kit to download from there. You can find all available resources to read. You can find anything you want. That's awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, great. You All can right. also find samples in GitHub. Sorry, I forgot about that. About Keysharp, and they are again under the Quantum Katas repo user, anyway. So, yeah, I think that's where you're going to go. Okay. Okay. I, I didn't do that well at linear algebra, so uh, I don't know if I'll get into it that much, but it sure it sounds yeah. interesting for those that, that have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a thing, right? I, I mean, you need to get in there to actually do write some quantum computer, but quantum com- programs. But yeah, once you do, and you know, practice makes you perfect. I remember teachers were always saying that. And once you start write, reading again about linear algebra and stuff, maybe it's a bit boring. Initially, you need to remember all these things. But when you actually have that knowledge and put it in real life problems and see solutions, then it becomes more and more kind of native to write and understand. So I think there is a learning curve there, of course. We are talking about the quantum world, but it's totally worth it. All right, cool, cool. I think I'm going to move us into picks now. So why? You want to go first? What's your pick? What's my pick? So, well, besides all these things, I am a .NET developer, right? And I, I always say that I am... Uh, lucky because my profession is my hobby. I have parallel hobbies like quantum stuff and blah, blah, blah. But my work, .NET, is my hobby. So I think that this is a never-ending study. .NET is huge. And right now, with the open source community, things got even better because you can find the super optimized solution for any kind of problem because Thousands of eyes and brains around the world see open source, see GitHub, see your code or someone else's code and correct even the slightest dot, the slightest uh, misoptimized thing. So there is a huge world out there to continuously study and write better and better programs. CSAR also became quite big nowadays. It's not a language that we've all met some years ago. And I think even though my job sometimes doesn't allow me to write code at least all day, I go back home and I study code or I write something that I had in mind just to play around. This is also the reason why I created the .NET Meetup in Munich, because I wanted to exchange um, nerdy information with other crazy .NET people. So I think that would be my first pick, source of information. Of course, I couldn't not include Hanselman, which is not just information about .NET, but it's also a funny thing to do, right? It, it has so many interesting stories to tell you and to read. So, yeah, that could be one thing as a kid, I would say, that I follow. Martin Fowler, of course. He is a next level scientist, so you definitely need to read his blog. There is always something new and many interesting things there. Steve Gordon also, it was also in the meetup at some point. Also crazy guy, very smart, 
that you can learn always something new, which is blog. Yeah, that's probably what I do. That's probably my pick, those guys. Great, great. All right, why? What's your pick? Yeah. So my pick this week is going to be a little bit different. So I, I recently started learning a new musical instrument, basically, because I've always played a little bit of guitar. I was trying to teach my daughter how to play the guitar, but her fingers have become like too small. So I thought I'd um, I thought I'd buy like a ukulele for her to play. Her fingers are still a little bit too small, but then yeah, I started playing it, and it's just a really like it's it's kind of like a smaller version of the guitar. It's kind of nice and it's heaps more portable. I can just kind of like take it to different rooms in the house, and and like I'd, I'm never I'm never in kind of there's no risk of me accidentally whacking anyone with it. Sometimes I play with my daughter, and I I've got to be careful not to swing my um, guitar and hit her in the face or something. So. Yeah, it's just, it's just a it's just a fun little thing that I've started um, learning how to play with. So yeah, ukulele. Are you are you old enough to know who Don Ho is? No, so. no. <laughs> I don't know who that is. It could be an American thing. Who's, who's Don Ho? So. Uh, he was in Hawaiian. So oh. if you ever heard the song "Tiny Bubbles," Tiny no. Bubbles. Okay, look up Don Ho. There was a Hawaiian who I think was this is. Big fat dude who's who played that song. Um, the, no, no, no. It's not not that guy that that did the uh, somewhere over the what rainbow. Beautiful world or something. Yeah, yeah. Or somewhere. Yeah, no, not that guy. This guy's older, but he was a real big star in 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 Hawaii. And when he was around, everybody when you went to Hawaii, we'd go to go to see his show. But okay, and he's a ukulele. So, yeah, and they actually have tabs of his music out there on ukulele. So okay, cool. Maybe I'll look it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, weird thing, my brother is a, a musician, plays all these instruments, and my father also, but I got nothing out of it. Right? He got everything, <laughs> every talent for music. I mean, my, my parents were always saying that uh, when you were a little, we got a guitar, and you just didn't care about it. And when your brother came along, he just got the guitar even when he was baby and started scratching and doing <laughs> stuff. So I think, yeah, I never had that. All right, so uh, my pick this week is uh, a few weeks ago I picked that sleep monitor that I that I have that's underneath my bed, and oh, I mean, you get one of those actually. Tells me how I sleep <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. That's well, uh, for Amazon days, they, they had a scale by the same company on sale, so I picked that up. And the nice thing about this is it reports all its data back to the same app that the sleep monitor does, and so it measures all sorts of th- different things in your weight and it, it says body composition and things like that. But it also somehow calculates what's what it says is your vascular age. So huh. what is the age of your circulatory system? Something like that. So it it says it sends some sort of a what I understand is is some sort of sonic signal through your body and measures how long it takes to, you know, go up and through and back down. And I guess the better your circulatory system is, the faster it gets a response or something like that. So, you know, if your if your veins are kind of hardened, you know, it's going to take longer for a sound signal to go through them. I guess the slower yeah. it is, the, the the more unhealthy you are. Or I, I'm I'm thinking like, I've read <laughs> you know the study of paper or whatever, but that's my theory is that if if you have bad veins, the signal probably doesn't travel as fast. Yeah, that's but, crazy. But yeah, you can check you know check it out on uh, on the website. It's it's the Withings Body Cardio uh, Scale in U.S. dollars. It was 
it was normally it's 150 US dollars and it was on sale for 100 and so I picked that up and it has it automatically detects multiple users so when I step on it it's it knows it's me when my wife steps on it it knows it's her wow. and we both have the app on our phone and we get on my phone I get my data on her phone she gets her data. So, so is it just based on weight though? Like, it's just kind of go, okay, you weigh I, approximately I, that much? <laughs> no, no I, I bet you it's probably looking at all the measurements. So, I can say, okay, weight is this, body fat is this, muscle mass yeah. is this. And so, the closest thing in my memory is this person <laughs> for all, for, for computing all those together. And so, and it figures that out real quick. And, you know, it says, you know, puts my name on there that Sean, That's smart. and then gives me a result. It also does my heart rate. So, you know, I guess my heart rate when I'm standing up, you know, is a little bit faster than when I'm sitting on the couch looking at my my watch that measures my heart rate and things like that. So, but yeah, check it out on, on the website and look through it. And uh, it's it's pretty cool. So bioelectrical impedance technology. Mm-hmm. I think I really want to get that sleep mat thing that you were talking about the, yeah. the other week, actually. So I have to yep. look, look that up. Yep. Check them all out. All right, guys. That was interesting. Mm. I stayed awake yeah, it, during the whole show. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 didn't, I didn't take my afternoon nap. Yeah. I lost my midnight sleep. <laughs> well, you can go to sleep now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or definitely. a few minutes. Oh, it, yeah. was, it was so cool and so nice to meet you guys. Oh, thanks for coming on, man. That was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's talking around the world. It was an experience. Also, though I didn't done that. I've never done this before, so... Very well, cool. tell your friends. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. User group and all that kind of stuff. We'd love to have uh, as many listeners as we can get. So sure. if yeah. our listeners have questions, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way? Well, I, they can do it through LinkedIn or, or Twitter even better. My Twitter handle is George. And then my surname, uh, Cosmidis, which is K-O-S-M-I-D-I-S. But this combination, first name, last name is... Twitter, LinkedIn, GitHub, even my email has it. So yeah, they can find me. If, if they learn the combination, they can find me. We'll publish it on the show notes. For that. Yeah. Super, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, great guys. And if our listeners want to reach out to the show, we'd love to hear from you, get some feedback and let us know how we can make things better. They can reach out to me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. <laughs> You're too used to uh, Caleb doing that. I know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> fill in for him. So. All right. All right. <laughs> we'll catch everybody on the next episode of Adventures in .net. Yeah. Bye. 